It's impossibly hard what he's going to do. And he knows about it. He's chosen to do that. And at some point along the conversation, you'd expect him to go, well, well why? Why are you doing it that way, Jesus? And, and what can only be achieved by doing it that way and not another way? Um, so we're going to take that, um, that question of why to this passage. And you see that Jesus says three things that are going to happen and the order in which they're going to uh, happen. You see, each time, different people are involved. So the first bit, which we'll look at today, is that Jesus will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. That's the first thing that happens. Um, Secondly, um, those people will deliver him over to the Gentiles, which just means the, the Romans who are there, and they will put him to death. And then the third thing he says is, I will rise. So these three parts, we're going to take them one by one, uh, one this week, second one next week, third one on Easter Sunday. And we're going to follow through that question, why? Why the impossibly hard journey? Why the impossibly hard course when he could have done a much easier one? Um, so, so, so the first one we're looking at today is um, the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. Um, for that event, we need to actually look a few chapters on. So if you look down in your Bibles and flick over to chapter 14 and just find 14 verse 26. We'll get to that in just a moment. Just have that open in front of you. Mark 14 verse 26. So what we're going to see in the Easter, the account of the Easter events is that in exactly the, the order that Jesus predicts and says it's going to happen, he is handed over to the chief priests, the chief priests hand him over to the Romans to be killed, and then three days he rises again. And, and if, you, if you see that in the Gospels, you, you do have to recognise two things. You have to recognise that Jesus knew what was going to happen to him. You have to say that, don't you? He knew what was going to happen to him, in detail. And if he knew what was going to happen to him, he clearly intended it to happen. Because he could have, knowing what was going to happen to him, avoided it. He had ample opportunity to do that. If he knows who's after him and who's going to hand him over, he knew it was Judas who was going to betray him, and then he knew a chief priest would hand him over to the Gentiles and they would kill him. He had an ample opportunity to avoid it. So why? Why did he do this? Um, we have a clue in this passage. So if you look down with me at um, verse 26 and 27. This is just before that, all those events start unfolding. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is Jesus and the disciples. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away for it is written... I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. If you just um, glance over to, uh, to verse 50, uh, what does it say? Uh, verse 49. At the end of this event, Jesus is going to say, Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. So, Jesus, before this happens, 
he quotes a scripture. It's from Zechariah 13. And it says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And then after it happens, Jesus says, let the scripture be fulfilled. So presumably the way that we're to think about these things and understand what it is that's going on is to think of it in terms of the sheep, uh, God striking the shepherd and the sheep being scattered. So what is going on in this event where Jesus is being handed over to the chief priests is God is striking the shepherd and the sheep are being scattered. If Jesus uses that quote, I guess he probably is using that to explain what's going to happen. So we're going to follow that same structure. We're going to look at it one by one. First of all, God strikes Jesus. And it's a bit of a weird concept to think that Jesus the Son, the one who is uh, eternal but came in the flesh, that God the Father is actually punishing Jesus. That God's wrath, judgment is falling on Jesus. It's, it's, it's a, a new kind of concept for us, I think. We, we sort of need to think that through. But that is exactly what the quote says, I will strike the shepherd. And we heard last week, didn't we, John 10, where Jesus is saying, I'm the good shepherd. So we know who the shepherd is. It's Jesus. So even though other people are going to be doing all this stuff to Jesus, ultimately it is God who is striking him. Um, Because this is such a weird concept for us, um, you want another way of seeing that it is in the Bible. Um, And actually, it's right in the heart of this passage. So if you look down with me at um, verse 36, this is a a three-sentence prayer that Jesus makes in the Garden of Gethsemane before his arrest. And right in the middle of that prayer, Jesus says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. So from the lips of Jesus himself, as he prays, he is acknowledging Uh, He's saying, remove the cup from me. Now, cups are usually a good thing for us, right? We're going to be enjoying cups over there afterwards. Uh, Coffee, it's going to be good. You looking forward to it? Yeah. Because cups are usually a good thing, we need to wrap our head around the Bible use of the word cup. Because actually, in the Old Testament, it's used to describe God's judgment. Um, Let let me give you an example. Um, Psalm, uh, what's this? Psalm... I've written it down somewhere. Psalm 75, verse 8. In the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and he pours out and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. In the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. So both Jesus is saying, Remove this cup from me, it's not a good thing, I don't want it. It's not going to be great. It's not going to be good. And also God himself saying in the, hand, uh, in, in the scriptures that he pours out from this cup on all the wicked of the earth. We see that it's God's judgment. And then we get Jesus saying, but not what I will, but what you will. So he says that he is taking on a cup and it is the cup of God's anger, God's wrath. God is striking the shepherd in Jesus' death. That's what's taking place. The judgment, the wrath of God is coming on Jesus. That's the first half of that quote, isn't it? God strikes Jesus. 
um, I will strike the shepherds. And we'll look at the sheep being scattered in the second half. What is the result of Jesus' prayer here? Well, I think it's obedience, isn't it? And what does he say as his final sentence? Yet not what I will, but what you will. So he dreads facing God's judgment. He dreads facing his father's anger. That's going to be the worst thing of all. But what he results in from prayerful dependence is obedience. Not what I will, but what you will. Um, Just hold on to that thought, because in a moment when we look at the sheep being scattered, we'll see it's the exact opposite for the disciples. They didn't pray. There wasn't prayerful dependence. And as a result, there wasn't obedience. So God is striking the shepherd, um, Jesus the shepherd. That question, why? Why did Jesus do this? Why this impossibly hard course that he knows about in detail and he could have avoided Well, the first answer to that question is this, that the judgment of God, there's something about the judgment of God that could only be paid for by doing it this way, by Jesus putting himself to death, or or the Father putting the Son to death on the cross. So that's the first answer to our question. We'll get to the second half in just a moment. Um, We're going to stand and sing, and then we're going to have another reading. Um, Or are we going to read first? I think we're reading first. Yeah, let's have a read. Um, We're just going to read the first part of that episode. So after the bit we just read, uh, from verse 32 down to 42. And this part of the scene is just with Jesus and his disciples. No one else has turned up yet. Um, Let's read together. No. We're, we're We're all the way in chapter 14 now. Chapter 14, verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And Jesus said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again Jesus went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. And they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough, the hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song. And then we're going to come back and pick up the action from verse 43. And immediately while he was speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came out, he went up to him at once and said, 
Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. One of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. So the first thing we looked at was God striking Jesus. Just picture that cup. That will help you to remember why Jesus went to the cross. He was drinking the cup of God's wrath, his anger, at sin. Not his own sin, but our sin. And what we see as well in this passage is that the sheep scatter. Um, I don't know why the cup's still there. Uh, shouldn't be there, anyway. And the sheep scatter. Jesus' arrest is the moment that leads to the cross. It kind of sets everything else in motion, doesn't it? From the moment he hands himself to the chief priests, it's inevitable, isn't it, what's going to happen next. The chief priests want to catch him out. They want to put him on the cross. They want to give him over to people who would do that. And, and the whole thing is in motion. And we'll see here that the disciples, they, they kind of realise this is the moment where they realise that they, they ain't going to stop Jesus going to the cross. Even Peter, he's there. I'm ready to stop these guys doing this to you, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, let the scripture be fulfilled. And I guess if you were a disciple there, um, if we were there, the, po- the point at which we realise Jesus is going to the cross. And if I'm with Jesus, I'm going to suffer too. When I can't avoid that. That's the point at which you think, well, I'm, I'm out of here. And that's exactly what they did. As God strikes the shepherd, the sheep scatter. And if we had been there, we would have too. Remember Jesus' humble dependence on God, the Father, in prayer in the garden resulted in his trust and obedience. He said, yet not what I will, but what you will. But in stark contrast, the disciples who did not pray, even when Jesus reminded them to, they finally can see that Jesus won't be stopped from doing what he said he's going to do and realise that they too will face suffering if they stay. And so they cut and run. Whatever they thought they would do in this moment, uh, Peter, in just the passage before, said, truly, he says, um, even if all, all the others fall away, I will not, Jesus. And here he he's picks up the sword, doesn't he? And he later follows Jesus at a distance at the trial. But P- even Peter ends up saying, I never knew you, Jesus. Three times. So what Jesus has said is, is, is happening will happen I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter it does happen and I I think verse 50 is the summary isn't it and they all left him and fled they all and they all left him it's a personal thing (laughs) they left the one that they had chosen to follow the one that they said is their saviour and lord They left him and fled. God is striking the shepherd and the sheep are all running away. They're all given up. They can't go go on the journey that Jesus is about to go on. Well, what does this mean for us? 
Let's return to where we started, the impossible journey and the question of why. Why did Jesus go to the cross? From this passage and from the scripture that these events fulfilled, we have an answer for that. When people ask you, why did Jesus go to the cross? I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. The answer to why Jesus goes to the cross is because God's judgment is coming against him. And he did that so that God's judgment wouldn't come against you and me. Why was this the only way? Well, it was the only way that God's righteous anger at sin could be spent. God is just. He's not the dodgy dealer who sort of somehow fudges things and and leaves things undone. If someone has done something, he is right and has to respond accordingly. And so he has to respond to a sin. He can't leave it unpunished. Well, what does this mean for you and for me? Well, first, it means that things are far worse than we thought they were. Well, stay with me. It does mean that things are far worse than they thought they were. It surely must mean that, doesn't it? Because this cup, this wrath, this anger, this judgment, we kind of assumed that God was just kind of okay with how we're living and, you know, we're trying our best. But this would suggest otherwise. Um, God's judgment is, is something that's real and something to be feared and to be avoided at all costs. So it's, it's far worse than we think it is. We haven't just got things wrong and hurt others. We provoke the anger of a righteous God and an eternal God. Just let that sink in. Because we often get concerned, don't we, with what other people think of the wrong things we've done. We're sort of very, very worried about losing face and that kind of thing. But the real thing that matters is that our sin has provoked God. And it's what he thinks of our sin that matters most. God is angry at sin, and his judgment was what Jesus, who knew the Father better than any of us can, what he dreaded to face. The reason Jesus is in anguish, his soul is sorrowful, is because he knows what it will be like to face the judgment of his Father. God has every right to be angry. It's his world we have spoiled, his image bearers we have damaged, and his glory that we have downgraded. Again, stay with me, because it is far worse than we imagine, and yet things being far worse than we imagine amazingly comes with an even more amazing and wonderful hope. How so? People often assume that to make God happy with you, you've got to start to do more of the things that he likes and less of the things that he dislikes. The problem is that never produces love what it does is makes us more critical of other people why aren't they doing these things I'm a good person, you're not you should be doing that and so it makes us more angry and more unforgiving it doesn't work we can't do it and yet wonderfully here we see Jesus does it he is obedient to his father even unto death. He always did what his father, what pleased his father. Right from the very beginning when he's baptised, it says, this is my son who I'm well, with whom I'm well pleased. And then Jesus goes on to, to live a holy life, a righteous life. 
and be obedient to death. So if you're someone who has got to the realisation that you can't do it, you can't be good, you can't make yourself right with God, you've tried. If you are someone here this evening who says, I can't do it, Easter is wonderful. Because Jesus did it. Jesus can do it. And for people who know they can't do it, the Easter message is such a joy. His death both satisfied God's anger and we are given his righteousness. God looks at us and he sees Jesus. Um, so we can just wonder, humbly receive what Jesus has done for us. And um, I thought it would be helpful to just quote this song. Um, it's a simple prayer. It says, Jesus, thank you. I was once your enemy, now I'm seated at your table. You drank the bitter cup reserved for me. That would be a wonderful thing to respond to Jesus and what he's done by going to the cross. It's just, thank you. Because what that says is, I, I need this. The person who says doesn't stop to say thank you, well, they obviously didn't think they needed it. But when the realisation sets in that we can't do it, and Jesus has done it, you drank the bitter cup reserved for me. What if you're someone who is following Jesus um, already? You might be wondering where in the story we fit in. We're always doing that, aren't we? Which one's me? Am I, you know... Which one's me? Am I Jesus? Well, we kind of know, don't we, that we're not Jesus. He's sort of the star of the show, and we're not, we're not meant to read ourselves exactly as him. Because otherwise we'd make this passage out to be a sort of lesson on how to deal with people who betray you, maybe close family. We'd sort of twist it to be about that. It's not about that. If we are going to see ourselves in the story, it would make more sense if we are followers of Jesus, to be alongside those who are followers of Jesus in this passage. And what do the followers of Jesus in this passage do? They cut and run. They let Jesus down. So if we are going to apply this to ourselves and think, okay, well, what uh, what's this say about me? Uh, it doesn't come off all that well, does it? Because we realise that actually we're the ones in this passage who like the followers, are cowardly. We let Jesus down. And that's as followers of him. I read this wonderful quote, um, and I'll just leave you with it. We are very like Peter. Regrets from when you were not a Christian is one thing, but the times that we've let Jesus down while professing to be his disciples, they weigh heavy on our consciences. Times we've been ashamed of him, times we've not wanted to speak up in defence of his gospel, or not even wanted to admit that we're Christians. Times we've done things that we think no Christian should ever do. Times we think we are beyond forgiveness. We are so very like Peter. How comforting to know that Jesus willingly went to the cross, to his death for Peter, and others like him, like us. Jesus went to the cross for those who said, I want to follow you. And we may be thinking oh, we're strong at being Christians. We're doing, we can be a Christian. But day by day we realise that we can't. We fail. And Jesus 
is going to his death because they need saving too. We need saving. Isn't it a wonderful comfort to know that that Jesus is dying for his friends and he's dying for those who are following him and yet are hopeless and perpetual sinners. We need, we need to know that. We need to hear that again. So don't take this the wrong way. Don't say that, oh, because Peter's such a failure, oh, this means we're, we're being told, don't be like Peter. No, we're being told we are, we are Peter. We will let Jesus down. We are cowards. And, and actually it's wonderful that he welcomes Peter back. Um, if you just flick over the page to chapter 16... Uh, verse 7. Uh, we'll get to this in a few Sundays' time, but just look down at verse 7. This is the angel at the, t- the empty tomb saying, But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. The angel bothers. To single out Peter. You, know, you could have just said, go and tell the disciples. He says, go and tell the disciples and Peter. Expressly because Peter was the one who had failed so badly. And it says, um, just as he told you, well that's referring to this conversation, isn't it, in chapter 14. He says in verse 27 of chapter 14, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So Jesus has said exactly what's going to happen and he refers to it, the angel refers to it after the resurrection so that we can't miss it. And let's pray. Let's pray together. Father God, we are those who can't do what you've required us to do. We can't be sinless, we can't live a righteous life. This judgment, this cup of your wrath, of your anger, would be frightening and eternal. And thank you that Jesus said, Yet yeah, not my will, but your will be done. Even though he knew exactly what it would take to face your wrath he did that and he did it because he wanted to save us because he loves us because you love us and uh, pray that we'd be humble to receive what you have done for us pray that we'd say thank you and pray that as uh, Christians when we realise we just fail you all the time that we would keep on coming back to the fact that you have you willingly went to the cross for us thank you amen